Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Necessary Roughness Podcast, presented by Last Word on Sports, episode number 149. Yes, indeed, you heard that right. We are approaching a milestone. As always, by the way, I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic. So, with that in mind, we are going to discuss the milestone we are reaching in the 2022-23 NFL season. We're going to give out our mid-season awards. Yep, you saw it in the title when you clicked on it. We're going to discuss mid-season, get a little bit of a recap, talk about how the season's been going. But first, we've got some news and notes from the week. We'll jump straight into that with my standout seven. And it's always weird when we do themed episodes like this to try and break it into seven. So, we'll do the bigger story. We'll hit on the big ones from this week, which would be the Josh Allen injury and Frank Reich being fired unceremoniously uh, as the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. But... First, let's get started with the bigger story. The Rams losing in a battle of the NFC contenders, or the Titans losing in a battle of the AFC contenders. Um, let's get started with the defending champs. So the defending champs walk into this one at 3-4, and four, taking on the 3-5 and five Buccaneers, once again, at Raymond James. It always seems that they play at Raymond James. Um... Matthew Stafford didn't look great in this game. The Rams' offense as a whole really didn't look great in this game, unless your name was Cooper Cup, which is par for the course, if I'm being completely honest. The Rams' defense did not look bad in this game either, though. I mean, if we're being completely honest, which is the goal here, Tom Brady drops back 58 times to attempt passes. That's not including any sacks or things like that. 58 passes, 280 yards, and one touchdown. On the ground, the Rams' defense gives up just a hair over 50 yards on 20 carries. I mean, you can't do much better, right? Mike Evans ends this game at five catches for 40. Chris Godwin, seven catches for 36. Julio Jones with 28 receiving yards. This was a slow place, slow-paced excuse me, game. There was a big field goal block for L.A. in this one. I don't know, man. It's This was a weird one for me because it feels like we're seeing this in L.A. with the Rams, in Tampa Bay with the Bucks, and in Green Bay with the Packers kind of all at once, that these are three teams that you just kind of assume based on the Rams from what we saw last season, the Packers from what we always see, usually, when Aaron Rodgers is healthy, and from any Tom Brady team, and th- this Tampa Bay team does not look good. I've made the comparison a few times. It's, I shouldn't say the team. This Tampa Bay offense does not look good, right? And you got to remember, Bruce Arians, offensive-minded head coach, no longer coaching the team. It's Todd Bowles, defensive-minded. I thought it was intriguing they promoted Bowles over Leftwich, but I guess with the way the offense is performing without Arians, maybe they knew? I don't know. This defense has been great. Special teams, they're not bad. Granted, field goal block, as I said, but right now, I keep saying it, This feels like last season of Peyton Manning's career, Denver Broncos. This is a QB who could still do it in spurts, but he's kind of along for the ride. I think Tom looks better than Peyton did during that season, but Peyton was dealing with a handful of injuries, and obviously Tom is dealing with things presumably between the ears because of the things we know are going on in his personal life. But (sighs) neither one of these teams is great. And after the game, you have Jalen Ramsey, uh, for some reason, feeling the need to publicly talk about how the defense made the stop and they shouldn't have to make another stop and yada, yada, yada. And it's like, yeah, you know, 
I get that, and you're not wrong. However, why does this need to be public? Why why do you need to call out your offense to the public? I, I don't get it. Like it it just feels like a bonehead move, considering you can keep it in house and you don't think the offense knows they scored 13 points in a game against you know a team they faced in the postseason last year. A team they were a big against in the postseason last year. A team they may face again in the postseason if these teams can straighten it out as the, you know, sand starts to dwindle down in the top half of the hourglass on this season. Not a great showing from the LA Rams. And then there was reports that supposedly Matthew Stafford, after this one, suffered a concussion, or during the game, I should say, obviously, may or may not be able to go, may or may not be in the concussion protocol. I I don't really know where that came from. He didn't exit the game, to my knowledge. I mean, I remember watching every snap. Um, He's listed as questionable per the own Los Angeles Rams website. So we'll see how that affects their season ongoing. Obviously, the offense doesn't look great. If they don't have Stafford, I don't imagine it'll look much better. Um... The other half of this would be the Tennessee Titans losing on the road, obviously without their starting quarterback as well. And look, I'll be honest with you. I said before I thought Malik Willis, we we kind of spoke this into existence two episodes ago, I think. We were looking at the injury report, and I said, well, you know, Tannehill's questionable. They can throw Willis out there against the Texans, and if he looks good, then, you know, they'll have a fallback plan if they lose to the Chiefs. Well, Tannehill doesn't play in either of those games. Malik Willis does not look great in either of those games, and uh, here we are. I mean, Derrick Henry looks fantastic, such is life. The Titans played a game against Kansas City where they didn't complete a pass to a wide receiver. So, I I mean, I know they don't have A.J. Brown, but come on now, y'all. Mahomes throws the ball 68 times, actually more, but he only attempted 68 passes, obviously. The scrambles don't count, but he drops back to throw in this game 70-plus times. I mean, you know, for years you've heard of the the Chiefs, and and back then the Eagles even abandoning the run under Andy Reid. I mean, I don't think you should be throwing the ball 70 times, but uh, whatever works, they walk away with a win. I'm going to say the bigger loss here is the Rams because of their position in terms of record. They're sitting at 3-5, and five, they're in a crowded division. Tennessee, kind of the polar opposite. They're 6-3. and three, Excuse me, no, they're 5-3. and three. Sorry about that. 5-3, and three, and they're in a division where their biggest competitor just fired their head coach, right? Jacksonville has made some progress, but Trevor Lawrence still doesn't look like that dude that we expected him to. Um, and Houston is Houston. So Tennessee's not in a bad spot. The Rams, one or two more losses, and uh, it might be chalked for this season. Number two in the standout seven. You might ask yourself, why are you putting these ahead of the big news headlines here? Well, you know, we like to keep this shtick at the top end of it, so let's keep rolling, and let's get to some positivity, right? We talked about two contenders losing to fellow contenders. How about two contenders taking care of business when they were supposed to? Bigger story, the Cincinnati Bengals beating the Panthers in the Battle of the Cats, Battle of the Big Cats, I should say, or the L.A. Chargers going on the road and winning against the Atlanta Falcons in a game that was pretty tight. It was. So, let's get started with the Bengals. They dominated this game. They do- It was 35-0 at halftime. Uh, Joe Mixon had five touchdowns. 
this was ridiculous. And the reason I put this in here is because if you flash back just one week, they put up 13 points on the Browns. So that tells you this Browns defense must be pretty darn good. Granted, you know, Jamar Chase being hurt was a fresh thing. Maybe they adjusted more. Obviously, Joe Mixon scoring five touchdowns, I assume, is not usually the number one game plan or win condition for them. Um, but he did, and he played darn well. And look, that's not taking anything away from Joe Burrow. He did the job. 22 of 28 in the touchdown, 260 yards, 206, excuse me, yards, no turnovers. Uh, on the other side, P.J. Walker couldn't get anything done, two interceptions. They bring in Baker, and, you know, he throws two meaningless touchdowns, and then they say, all right, well, you can sit back on the bench, and we'll have P.J. go out and win that Thursday night football game for us, which is kind of interesting, but here we are. Um, on the Chargers' side of the coin... They still didn't really look great. Granted, you take a look at who was out there. Mike Williams, obviously, did not record a catch. Keenan Allen didn't record a catch. So you're working with the B team in your skill position talent. Josh Palmer steps up. DeAndre Carter looked pretty good. Gerald Everett, who I'm a huge fan of, got some contributions in this game. And um, they did just enough to win on the road. The bigger story, that's the question. It might be the Chargers. Because, look, even coming away from that Browns game, I, don't, I wasn't ready, and I don't think anyone was, to jump ship on the Cincinnati Bengals after we saw, excuse me, after what we saw from them last season. But the Chargers, this was supposed to be a year to take a step forward. They come into that game at 4-3. and three. They're taking on the 4-4 four and four Falcons. Could have easily been a loss. They win this one 20-17. They, you know, sneak away back to L.A., um, after trailing starting the fourth quarter. So, big win for the L.A. Super Chargers. Now, before we move on from this, we have to talk about Josh Allen. And, you know, this, this could be number three in the standout seven. As I said, it's hard to really pin down the numbers in a week like this, but it doesn't matter. Let's be, let's be honest. It, it's just for... It's just for me. Come on, you guys aren't keeping a note. You're not asking for an autograph on a episode layout that we're selling for 99 cents. So it's just for me. Number three, let's talk about Josh Allen because first of all, we should take this opportunity to give the Jets their flowers a little bit, right? Huge, 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 massive win for the New York Jets, improving to six and three in a very hard division. And they have a chance to get revenge next week. Not this week. They can sit on that win for a little while. Revenge next week against the Patriots for a game that, realistically, they should have won. They should be sitting at 7-2, right? So, big game for them. But the reason we're talking about this game isn't because the Bills lost, because the Bills are still title contenders if everyone's healthy. The reason we're talking about it is because not everyone's healthy. Josh Allen threw a pretty awful interception early in this game, and then he threw another one late in this game. Also had a heck of a deep ball on their final gasp play, I believe, to Gabe Davis. And I thought there was some contact there, but, you know, the rookie Sauce Gardner playing at home, letting him get away with a little bit of physical play. There's nothing wrong with it if it's going both ways. Um, Josh didn't look great in this game in terms of passing the ball. I mean, he ends with 291 all-purpose, two touchdowns, but completion percentage dipped way down, 18 of 34. The Bills were back to just, we're not running the ball, you know. Who needs to run the ball? Well, he's only got he's only got eight carries for 24 yards and Singletary. It's like, yeah, but look at what you guys can be when you run the football. Yeah, well, whatever. Either way, I've been saying that for 
over a year, probably two years at this point with Buffalo. It's it's, it's yelling into the wind. Um, but the big story that I've been talking about over and over again here without actually saying it is that it came out that Josh Allen is battling an elbow injury, and we saw him shaking his arm at one point in this game, and it is a UCL injury. Now, for those of you who are not baseball fans, the UCL is the ligament that would require Tommy John surgery for a pitcher if they have a tear in it uh, in baseball. So, mind you, you can play through it in baseball depending on your position. Bryce Harper had a UCL injury. He did not play the field, but he hit. Granted, it's because he couldn't throw. Josh Allen kind of needs to throw. He can't become a gadget running quarterback, and it would completely change their entire offense. It's not a thing that they can do. I know they have some QB powers and things like that. So the crux of this is we're in the midseason recap episode. Coming into the year, everyone loved Buffalo to win the Super Bowl. I think that's still a decent you know, pick to have, a decent bet to be holding on to. But if Josh Allen's injury is at least somewhat significant... He's going to miss time here. Now, I've heard some reports saying that he's going to miss one to two weeks. Some saying it'll be a month. Others are saying, well, they, they got to find out. They got to do this. They got to do that. So I have no idea. I do know, though, that this week they take on the Minnesota Vikings, who are one of the best teams in the NFC. They've got some hard games remaining here. They're sure, you know, they got a game with the Bears that they could win. They got a game with the Patriots. Sure. They've got the revenge game with the Jets here, Um, but they're not all easy. They've got Cincinnati on the schedule still. They've got Miami who's chasing them. They've got the Jets, as I just said, and that Viking game. So I'm operating under the assumption we're not going to see him in in that Viking game, which is for the best. If he is out for the duration of the season, their title hopes cut drastically, and obviously that's not breaking news. Um, Case Keenum is a competent NFL quarterback most of the time, but he's not Josh Allen. Josh Allen is explosive. Josh Allen is, you know, fireworks back there. It's deep ball. It's scrambling. It's hurtling people. Case Keenum's not going to do that for you. They're going to have to drastically change their offense, and uh, I think you will see running the ball become part of the playbook a little bit more, but we'll see if that's in the works depending on how Josh's uh, prognosis comes out. Number four in the standout seven, let's get to the Frank Reich thing. And also, we're going to check in on some of these coaches who could be on the chopping block as well, because we've already seen Matt Rule, now Frank Reich. So, Frank Reich was a decent, I would say, coach for the uh, Indianapolis Colts. I don't think he was anything crazy. I think he was a decent head coach, but at the end of the day, I think that he had fired all his bullets because you take a look, his first season to go 10 and six, then seven and nine, 11 and five. Okay. You know, doing decent, doing decent. Last year comes down to the last week of the season. They lose in embarrassing fashion and all the blame is placed upon the quarterback. Mind you, this is Frank Reich former NFL quarterback, a man with offensive coordinator experience, right? So, I assume 
Jim Irsay and or the front office go, okay, well, if it was Wentz, we'll get rid of Wentz. You know, we'll we'll go out there. Who's available? Hmm, well, we don't want Russell Wilson. Maybe we can get Matt Ryan for a little bit cheaper. Okay, not in terms of money, but in terms of giving up draft capital and such. All right, Matt Ryan will come in. He's just got to really be a game manager with the occasional explosive play. The running game's going to carry us. Well, the running game isn't carrying you. They At the end of his tenure here, during this season at least, he's 3-5-1. and one. I mean, the other thing being, I said he fired all his bullets, Matt Ryan gets injured. And I said this, discussed this a few weeks ago. Matt Ryan is injured, and not only is it discussed that he is going to miss time, it is then straight up said that he is not going to play for the remainder of this season. Um, now, if I'm wrong, correct me wherever you're listening. Comment section, uh, or all social media, any social media, at Nick Donatic, N-I-K-D-O-N-A-D-I-C. It is said that he's being benched outright. So then it's not really, the injury is giving you the avenue to do it, but then you're straight up saying that he's not performing. Okay, that's completely fine. You're well within your rights as the head coach to say that. However, my issue was, when you make that decision, during a time that you did not have to, if Matt truly was hurt, and I have no reason to believe he wasn't, there's no reason to say outright, we're going with Ellinger, he's our guy. You don't have to. You can let the kid play, and then as Matt is on the mend, if the kid's playing well, the decision will be made for you. Colts fans have no loyalty to Matt Ryan. This is his first season there. They will not be angry with you if you make that decision, but making that decision in advance just to say that you gave the rookie, or rather starter, new starter, rookie starter, if you will, not a true rookie, obviously, um, just to say you gave him a vote of confidence is a waste of time. You, you didn't have to do that. Then, you know, what happens? Well, the rookie goes out there and plays like a rookie. Um, you know, I think, was this his first game against the Titans? No, this was Matt's final game. His first game is against the Commanders, and, you know, it was a relatively tight game. But the kid goes 17 to 23, 200 yards. He didn't really do too, too much. But he didn't lose you the game, I would argue. Didn't lose you the game. Okay, fair enough. Then you play the Patriots. And I've seen plenty of young quarterbacks go play Bill Belichick and have rough days like this. He goes 15 to 29 for 103 yards and an interception. And now your season's held on by a string, right? You're 3-5-1. and one. Tennessee, as we just discussed, right? They're playing a rough game against the Chiefs, but you don't have to face them anymore, right? But you're chasing them. You've lost your head-to-head chance. They're at 5-3. and three. You've got a game in hand, win, loss, or tie, whatever, and you're two behind. So they say, all right, well, we're going to cut bait. All right, you know what? That's honestly not that hard to believe. I feel like we've seen that plenty of times. But what we haven't seen is... The ownership, essentially, it seems, saying, you know what, we're going to go out and get an interim coach who's outside the coaching staff. And it's like, okay, well, I mean, do you have somebody in mind? Is there some high-profile coach? You know, were they going to go and get Brian Flores or something? Not that he's the highest profile, but he's a name. He's a relatively known commodity. Are you going to go out and get him? Are you going to go out and get who? Well, he went out and offered the interim position to... Jeff Saturday, 
Colts legend, obviously, former center. All right, and this becomes very weird because you have people arguing about is he experienced enough to do this? And they're like, well, he's done some high school coaching. And it's the whole thing is very bizarre. And then there was a bit of it, I believe, that came into play where they're like, well, the Rooney rule doesn't come into effect because he's in an interim position. I know that angered some people that obviously this went to Jeff Saturday, who is Caucasian. I'm not the guy to ask. I don't know the process that went into this. Do I think Jeff Saturday is going to be a great coach? I have no idea. I've seen Jeff Saturday on NFL talk shows just like the rest of you. Is he good on those shows? Yeah, I think he's pretty good. We'll, we'll find out. It's it's intriguing to me, though, because this has happened, not in an interim role, but this has happened in other sports. Aaron Boone, prior to being named the manager of the New York Yankees, did not have managerial experience. I hesitate to say it, but I believe he didn't even have coaching experience. He was working for Mickey Mouse, ESPN, and the Yankees said, hey, our fans know Aaron Boone. Let's bring in Aaron Boone. And they did. And he's still the manager to this day. Have they won anything? No. Has the team been awful? No. But many people in the fan base would say that they haven't accomplished, obviously, the ultimate goal, so they're underachieving. Does that extend to Saturday? Because Yankee fans in baseball tend to view Boone as a, a sort of puppet. He's a, you know a face that they can throw out there that the fans recognize. He can take some of the heat, and the front office will sort of inform the decisions that are being made. That's baseball. I don't think you can do that in a football setting. So this decision is all the more intriguing, because evidently they started interviewing some people, and Jeff's name came up, and he won the owner over. The whole thing is is kind of bizarre. But as I said before, the, the Matt Ryan situation in terms of being benched while you're injured was also bizarre to me. So I guess this is on brand for who the Colts are nowadays. Um, moving on from Indy, and then you have the thing also, and I was going to talk about this in the pick'em portion, but I'll bring it up here, where last week analyst Jeff Saturday was fairly critical of, more than fairly critical, of the Las Vegas Raiders, and now, of course, they will be facing the Las Vegas Raiders, and they're going to mock him endlessly when... Or if the Raiders, who have Derek Carr, who's significantly more experienced at the QB position, Josh McDaniels, who's significantly more experienced as a coach, um, it's going to be a weird spot if the Raiders beat him in his debut game as a head coach. I'll, I'll say that from the outset. Getting into what I wanted to get into here, though, take a look at the standings real quick, and let's take a look at who might be in trouble. I said this before when I was watching a handful of games this season. Ron Rivera, Washington Commanders, sitting at 4-5. and five. They acquired Carson Wentz, obviously, and then the injury, and then the, there was a little bit of a uh, friction, I would say, between him and Ron. So they're 4-5. and five. They're the worst team in the NFC East. It's a really strong NFC East this year. Can't blame them. But when the Giants are overachieving... You imagine it's not going to look great on Ron Rivera. Um, I will say this, though. The prospect of the team being sold muddies the waters. Because, presumably, whenever the team is sold, the new ownership group will want to put their people in place. So that might include purging some people from the front office, from the coaching staff, from the roster. So do you hang on to Ron and just let him sit around and keep coaching games 
until a deal is finalized. If there is going to be a deal finalized, mind you, they are in the early parts of the process in terms of finding uh, ownership possibilities, I should say. Um, But if Daniel Snyder is going to remain the owner, I tend to think Ron Rivera might be on the chopping block. Because realistically, I don't think Ron Rivera has really done all that much as the coach of the the commanders slash football team slash name redacted. They've had three names in three years. They went seven and nine and almost pulled off a magic playoff win, right? But almost doesn't mean anything. Then they go seven and ten, and this year they're pacing for another losing season. So, and this is, mind you, this is coming off of his Carolina job, where his final two years, one, he didn't get to finish the season and he was a losing record, and the year before, he had a losing record. I mean, he's had 12 seasons as a head coach. He's had a winning record three times. I mean, look, I get it. I remember when Ron Rivera was the hot assistant coach that, you know, they oh, he's getting a job in Carolina. How's that going to go? But, like, look, we had this discussion a few years ago with Marvin Lewis, and I'm not saying it's going to happen in Washington as well, but look at what it did for the Cincinnati Bengals franchise to move on, to do something new. I'm not saying Rivera has been a stalwart forever there in Washington, just losing and losing and losing like he's Jeff Fisher or like he's Marvin Lewis, but he doesn't really have a pedigree that I think a front office would really, would really, excuse me, lean on and say, well, no, 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 no. It's not like when Tom Coughlin was having losing season after losing season with the Giants, and you're like, well, I mean, he's done it before. He's gotten to, he's won us Super Bowls. I think Ron Rivera is one of those high-profile names that'll be on the chopping block. And look, I'm not saying he won't get another job, because he definitely might, but I think it might take a little while. Might have to go down to D.C. for a bit. And that's not Washington, D.C. That is coordinator. Um, another intriguing one to me would be Cliff Kingsbury. I don't think Cliff Kingsbury necessarily should be axed. Um, but if we're being honest here, four seasons. First season, obviously losing year. Um, they bring in Kyler. He goes 8-8, eight and 11-6. Eight, and six. They were the best team in the league last year for a little while. This year, they're 3-6. and six. Can they bounce back? I don't know. It's a, it's a weird spot to be in with a lot of winning teams ahead of them right now. Kind of a heavy middle class um, this season. Would I fire Kingsbury? I'm not sure. I think it would come down to his relationship with Kyler. We've seen them going back and forth at it, but that happens on an NFL sideline, as we've been told over and over again by player and coach and executive alike. So I'm not certain that would be the go-to move, but it is an interesting proposition, I would say, if they end the season somewhere in the 6-11 and range in a division that is challenging but right now winnable with the Rams kind of having a down year after their Super Bowl. San Francisco's only at 4-4. Four and four. They're catchable, and Seattle's overachieving. How long will that last? We'll find out. Looking through some of the other losing teams, I don't think Dan Campbell should be let go. I think this Detroit team plays hard for him, all things considered, um, <laughs> to be quite honest. Uh, I'd let him stick around. We haven't seen enough out of Eberflus in Chicago to where I would make a suggestion that Eberflus would maybe be on a hot seat. Um, 
Matt Rule's already gone in Carolina. The Saints have had a weird injury-plagued season. Let's head to the American Football Conference. The AFC East, everyone should be fine. The AFC West is interesting to me. The Chargers are sitting at 5-3 and three right now, and I'm not going to suggest that the Chargers have been bad under Brandon Staley. You know, it's two years. It hasn't been a long time. Or, yeah, they went 9-8. and eight. All right, you know. Didn't make the postseason, but they were pretty good. This year, they're 5-3. and three. Um, Keenan Allen's been in and out of the lineup, obviously. Justin Herbert battling that injury to his ribs. I don't know. I tend to think if they miss the postseason this year, next year will be the make or break for him. If they go 0 for 3, he will be fired. That's my opinion. Because you take a look at who he was replacing in, I believe it was Anthony Lynn, and I was of the opinion that Anthony Lynn was a fairly successful coach for the Chargers. I mean, they go 9-7, and seven, miss the playoffs, whatever. They go 12-4, and four, they win a playoff game in 2018, mind you. Then they lose to the New England Patriots, which, I mean, what do you want me to say? That's life. That That's just how things went when Tom Brady was in New England. And, of course, obviously that was the final... Phillip Rivers, he goes for three touchdowns, and it's just, they gave up 40 points. What do you want me to tell you? Uh, then they go 5-11, and 11, right? And I believe it was the first year post, no, this was the last Rivers year. Then, in the first Herbert year, they kind of surprise everyone, and they have a pretty good season. They go 7-9. and nine. I thought Justin Herbert, remember, I talked about this during his rookie year. He was the guy that for years they were saying was going to go number one, but he just stayed at Oregon too long. And the scouts kind of were like, oh, well, he's got this flaw and that flaw in the third. And there was rumors the Giants were in love with Justin Herbert, but obviously that didn't happen. Um, but Herbert goes 31 touchdowns, 10 picks as a rookie. And then his head coach gets fired. So when you consider that, Brandon Staley... Like I said, if he goes 0 for 2, he might not make it through year 3. Year 3, if they're 4 and 4, he might get the heave-ho. Keep an eye out, Charger fan. I'm just saying. Right or wrong, that's just the way it is. Um, Josh McDaniels is a really funny one. Because, I mean, he's sitting at 2 and 6, and he didn't really do much if memory serves in Denver. I mean, we could take a look, obviously. But, if I remember correctly, he was... Pretty much considered a failed head coach. Yep, eight and eight, and then three and nine, and let go. That was kind of a quick hook, but that's the way it is. Um, they're two and six. They're underachieving, and there's really no other way to put it. So, is he another one where if they have two straight postseason misses, he's going to be gone? Tend to think he might. Um, Mike Tomlin's fine. Cleveland is fine. Um, Cincinnati and Baltimore, obviously, as well. The AFC South, we've already seen a firing in Indy. Mike Vrabel's obviously a pretty darn good coach. In terms of Houston, I mean, they knew what this team was. I I don't think there'd really be any reason to fire Lovey Smith unless, and I'd say this, if there is a push towards, you know, they're the number one pick or whatever, And, all right, well, we've got the number one pick by way of whatever, hook or by crook, and we really want to hire someone who's got a great relationship with X player, with Hendon Hooker, with Bryce Young, with whoever, right? Sure, fair enough, but, I mean, I think Lovey knew what this team was when he came in. It's just kind of the way it is. Um, 
in Jacksonville, it's kind of the same thing. Doug Peterson's a pretty decent ball coach. They're not going to let him go after one season. He hasn't done what Urban Meyer did. He deserves a second crack at it. So that'll wrap up number four on the standout seven. It's probably going to be a bit of a long episode, folks. So if you need to get a beverage, get a snack, give it a quick little pause because we're about to get into our number five, our mid-season awards. Yes, sir, Bob. It is mid-season award time. And first, we're going to take a peek back to a time before the season. And we're going to look at my pre-season picks. We may have picked Matt Rule to win Coach of the Year. Anyway, um, we had Brady at MVP. That's a stinker pick. Jonathan Taylor at Offensive Player of the Year. It's possible, but it's it's not likely at the moment. That's what I'll say on that. Uh, we had Von Miller at Defensive Player of the Year. That's possible. I mean, he's got seven sacks. That's doable. We had Chris Olave at Rookie of the Year. That's possible, too. I mean, right now, uh, statistics via statmuse.com. Great website, by the way. Um, right now, as we just double-check... I believe he's the receiving yard leader. Yeah, he's got 618 yards. Garrett Wilson's got 521 hot on his heels. He's pretty good. Wilson's catching on as of late. Um, Drake London's having a pretty good year on a team that doesn't really pass the ball that much. Um, Pickens has looked all right, but I don't think he'd be in the running for this. So that's not the worst pick. We've had worse. Keep going down the awards here. We had Thibodeau at Defensive Rookie of the Year. Or no, sorry, I had Thibodeau as a candidate and then Kyle Hamilton as winning it. I'm not necessarily convinced Hamilton has done nearly enough to win that award. Um, it's hard to win that award at a non-pass rusher position, I would say. Um, and I, I wouldn't even argue in the slightest that Thibodeau's done enough because he has one sack on the year. So that's a stinker. Comeback player of the year, Baker Mayfield, stinker. Second candidate, Trevor Lawrence, stinker. So we're not exactly batting a 1,000. We're closer to batting like 300, which is respectable, I would say. Um, let's get started with the most valuable player. Now, this one's hard because we're sitting here in week 10, right? So if this is a mid-season award, there's a couple ways to look at it. You can try and project forward. Like you could say Christian McCaffrey's going to win Offensive Player of the Year because he's about to go on fire for the San Francisco 49ers. And it's like, yeah, he could, but... What makes you think that, right? So, here we are. Well, if the season ended today, the Philadelphia Eagles would be the one seed in the NFC, and they would do so at undefeated, and for that reason, my MVP has got to be Jalen Hurts. I mean, look, is Jalen Hurts the best quarterback in the NFL? No. I don't think Jalen Hurts would argue that. I don't think... Eagle fans would argue that. Comments or social media. You know the policy. Want to argue with me? Feel free. But, right now, he's got a 68% completion percentage, which is up 7% from last year. 12 touchdowns to 2 interceptions. Just 2. And then you take a look at the fact that he's run for 325, pacing to come just slightly under what he had last year, and 6 touchdowns on the ground. The guy's balling out, man. I mean, it's hard to argue against those statistics, especially considering the pressure that comes with being the team that everyone thinks is going to be good. 
and then you have to go out and do it. Jalen Hurts and the Philadelphia Eagles are going out and doing it when it matters. So, who are my other contenders here? Obviously, it's Josh Allen's got to be up there. He's hit a bit of a rough patch, we know that, and the injury makes me hazy on even saying I'd project it. The other one that would have to be high is Patrick Mahomes, right? Leading the league in passing yards right now. I believe he is also number one, as I take a quick look, number one in passing touchdowns, um, near the top in terms of passer rating. He's tremendous. He's got just six picks. Um, We saw this past week against Tennessee what he could do with his feet when he needs to. I've called him the least mobile mobile quarterback before because he never looks fast, but he has just enough speed and just knows the right angle to get around the edge nine times out of ten. He's tremendously talented, to be quite honest. Uh, I'd have him at number two. And Allen, with some of the turnover issues in some of these games, like two picks, I believe, against Green Bay, two picks this past week, kind of diving back down after first five weeks he was a shoe-in. Um, just the way it is. Very mercurial in the league, you know it. So Jalen Hurts, my first half MVP. Offensive player of the year, this one is its relatively simple for me. I mean, Tyreek Hill, 76 catches, 1,100 yards. Let me say that again. 76 catches, 1,100 yards in nine games. He's got half the season left. He may do what Cooper Cup tried to do last year. This may be, well, obviously with the 17-game season, this may become more of a thing, but the guy kind of forced his way out of Kansas City. He bet on himself. He got clowned for it, including, I believe, at one point, at least by me. I was saying, you're leaving Mahomes for Tua? That's a big belief, you know. I was on the the bandwagon where it's, uh, Tua kind of lollipops it up there. Well, it seems to be working out for Tua now. The deep ball seems to be looking pretty good. And Tyreek Hill is looking tremendous in Dolphins' teal. Offensive player of the year, Tyreek Hill, hands down. Other contenders, I mean, you got to put Cup in there. He's still got 72 catches for 813 yards, six touchdowns. You could put somebody like Justin Jefferson in there. 867, 59 grabs. Stephon Diggs, 857, 60 grabs. I'm fine with any of those. Um, My number two would probably be Nick Chubb. I mean, when Derrick Henry acknowledges Nick Chubb as the best running back in football, I'll take his word for it. 841 yards, 149 carries. You do the math. That's pretty darn good. Uh, No fumbles as a ball carrier. 10 touchdowns. Um, Henry leading the league, 870, with 30-ish more carries, uh, one less touchdown. I'd give it Chubb at number two, Henry slash Cup slash Jefferson at number three, but Tyreek Hill running away from me. Defensive player of the year is kind of a weird one, because I bet you a lot of you don't know this, but right now, the NFL sack leader, and these statistics are per NFL.com, is Matt Judon of the New England Patriots. And, I mean, he's a darn good player, but I didn't think he had 11 and a half sacks already. This is a guy who's pacing for potentially chasing a record as a pass rusher. And it's hard for me to not put him at number one just based off that alone. Um, However, the thing I will say is this. Based on the hype train that came at the end of last year and the fact that Dallas is playing well this year, I tend to think we'd see Micah Parsons win it. 
in terms of the versatility of his skill set at linebacker, and he's still rushing the passer relatively well. Now, obviously, he's trailing Judon by three and a half sacks, right? He's got more solo tackles. He's got the same number of combined tackles. Um, I'd say Parsons would probably win it just based on the fact, like I said, he is a Dallas Cowboy. He had a hype train behind him. Um, you take a look at Ball Hawks, you know, CJGJ over there, CJ Gardner-Johnson, five interceptions, pretty darn good. Um, Von Bell with four, Harrison Smith with four. He's been making some plays for the Vikings. Maybe he'd get a little bit of run, late career renaissance. Um, but no, I'm going to go with, Ch- with uh, I was going to say Chandler Parsons. Oh, my goodness. I'll take Micah Parsons to bring home my defensive player of the year. Now, this one's an interesting one as we get into the rookie of the year race. Offensive rookie of the year. Now, I haven't seen too, too much out of the rookie QBs, right? You take a look back at the draft, 2022 NFL draft. This was not necessarily the draft for the quarterback, right? We have Kenny Pickett. Eh, Not really doing it for me, you know. He was the lone first-round pick QB. You take a look down the board. We haven't seen Desmond Ritter, much to the chagrin of Falcon fans, so I hear. Um, so it's not going to be a QB. Alave, Chris Alave was my pick to start the year. He's having a good season. 43 catches, 618 yards, considering Michael Thomas has been hurt and Jameis Winston has been hurt, which is your starting QB and your elite wideout who can take away some of the coverage from you. Wouldn't be a bad pick, honestly. He's probably going to end the year with 1,000 receiving yards, which is pretty darn good. But I will throw this into the mix. Damian Pierce is averaging 4.6 yards per carry. He's got 678 rushing yards, about 100 receiving yards, on a Houston team that is bereft of talent. Brandon Cooks is pretty good. Fair enough, right? O.J. Howard's pretty good. Fair enough. Davis Mills is all right. Okay, but this Houston team is not good. We just discussed this before. They're a one-win team. This guy's going to have 1,000 rushing yards on an offense that has almost no weaponry around him. Now, you might say, Nick, you're going to give him the edge over Kenneth Walker? Right now, I am. If I had to pick a running back to play for my team tomorrow, I would take Kenneth Walker. I think Kenneth Walker has impressed me more in terms of talent, but in terms of production and considering the team around him, I'm taking Damian Pierce, man. It's just the way it is. Now, I'll say this. Stat Muse, the website I was mentioning before that we're using for this, has Travis Etienne listed as a rookie. Travis Etienne was drafted last season, obviously missed the year due to injury. So are we going to have a Ben Simmons situation? Is he even eligible to win? I'm not 100% certain. You could make the argument, and I would listen to it, and I might agree with you if you argued ETN, because he has more receiving yards, just a hair more rushing yards, and he's averaging more yards per carry. And he's also on a team that's not great, right? Trevor Lawrence has not developed into what we thought he would yet, right? Maybe he will. We'll find out. But uh, ETN would be in the running. I don't know if he is. Right now, my 1 and 1A would be Pierce and Kenny Walker, Alave at 2, and at 2A, I would have Garrett Wilson. Defensive Rookie of the Year, I think Aiden Hutchinson's been pretty good, but it's it's going to be Sauce Gardner, 
right? Like, the Jets are playing well above their weight class. Sauce Gardner's making plays here and there. You saw, you saw already at the end of the game last week against a team that's a Super Bowl favorite, Sauce Gardner doesn't get a call for being a little physical at the end of the game. It's going to be Sauce. He's going to win Defensive Rookie of the Year. He's a pretty darn good player. That's it. Coach of the Year is hard. And here's the reason. Because I'm going to give you two winners. So, these are my four candidates. And this is not including Brian Dable of the New York Giants as much as it pains me to do. Robert Sala has the Jets in playoff contention. That alone is award-worthy. Then you look at the team and you go, oh boy, he's pulling something off here. Pete Carroll has the Seahawks with Geno Smith as their quarterback in playoff contention. That's tremendous. Kevin O'Connell, first-year coach, guys. First-year head coach, Kevin O'Connell, has the Minnesota Vikings, granted, in the perfect storm with some of the way things are going with the Green Bay Packers, has the Vikings in first place. First place. Do I need to say more? Oh, yeah, I do. Because Nick Sirianni is the head coach of an undefeated team. I know they're a good team. I know that, you know, I'm not calling them a super team or anything, but they're very talented. They're undefeated. I'm going to give you two picks. So, right now, my pick, based on the fact that the Vikings... It's a hard one. Because this Vikings team, I feel like, underachieved before O'Connell got there. So, do I think they're a 7-1 caliber team before he walks in? Maybe not, but would it shock me if they were 5-3 now and again? 6-2? No. No. Dalvin Cook is a darn good running back. Justin Jefferson is elite. Adam Thielen is still a good contributor. You have Harrison Smith, who's aging as the captain, so to speak, of that defense, with guys like Patrick Peterson coming in to help the younger dudes. Um, I think it's a pretty good team. It's just they've been stuck underperforming with Kirk Cousins and in the shadows behind Aaron Rodgers. Then you have Pete Carroll, which... If I covered up the nameplate of the QB and just showed you the stats, you'd have think they didn't even trade Russell Wilson. You look at their receiving core. They still have DK Metcalf. They still have Lockett. Kenny Walker looks like a... He's going to be a stud running back as long as he stays healthy, it looks like. The defense is playing pretty darn well for him. Then you look at Roberto Salad, as I like to call him, the head coach of the Jets, Robert Sala. I mean, this is a really hard race. And like I said, I'm not even including... Brian Dable of the New York Giants. The thing that's going to decide this is which one of these teams makes the playoffs. Because right now the Vikings have the inside track to make the postseason. They're in a division that is easier than the NFC West. Right? Seattle's up by a game and a half. Two in the win column, one in the loss column. Right now, the Vikings are up by four and a half games with nine to go. They're going to win that division in all likelihood. They're undefeated at home. Seattle, take a look at their schedule coming up. They've got to play Tampa Bay this week. They've got to play the Raiders, underachieving. They've got to play the Rams. They've still got to play San Fran. They've got to play Kansas City. They've got to play the Jets. And then they end with the Rams again. 
Would it shock anyone if they came back down to earth a little bit? Right now, as I said, they're coming in at... Let's just double check here. Six and three. Would it shock anyone in the slightest if they went into this last stretch and they ended the year at nine and eight? Or ten and seven? That's still a tremendous year for this team. Wouldn't shock me. The Jets might be the third best team in their own division. I think I'm going to give it to O'Connell. But the caveat I told you I'd have in advance, if the Eagles win 13 or more, and we can take a look real quick at the Philadelphia Eagles' remaining games, right? Eagles currently at 8-0. They've had their bye. They've got the Commanders, winnable. They've got the Colts, winnable. They've got the Packers, winnable. That's 11. They've got Tennessee up in the air. Could be 12. They've got the Giants, Who knows? Two against the Giants. Let's say they split for giggles, right? Chicago should be a win. Saints should be a win. Dallas, this team could... I'm not... Look, I'm I'm not trying to put the kibosh out there. This team could go undefeated. Those are winnable games. The Commanders are winnable easily, I would say. 75-plus percent, I would pick this team. Commanders, Colts... The Bears, the Saints, and at least one, if not both, of the Giants games. It's going to come down to which Green Bay shows up. Is there literally any chance Green Bay can find a way to put up that fight? Can Tennessee bully ball Philly out of it, which I don't think they can? Will Tannehill be healthy? Can they beat Dallas in Dallas on Christmas Eve? If this team goes 13-4, 14-3, whatever, I think Sirianni may win it. The exception being, I guess, if the Vikings go, you know, if it's 13-4 and four versus 12-5, and five, I'd give it to O'Connell because the expectations were lower and he did more with less. However, like I said before, it comes down to who makes the playoffs. If the Jets make the playoffs, Roberto Salad, my boy, will likely get some pretty strong support. The same goes for Brian Dable. The same goes for Pete Carroll. You know, if these Cinderella's start to strike midnight... San Francisco catches up to Seattle. The schedule catches up to the Jets here and there. Vikings have a little regression of the mean. Then we'll see Sirianni. I think Sirianni is a a strong bet. Our final award here, before we get into the news and notes, and then the pick'em portion, comeback player of the year. I'm picking Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley had a tremendous rookie season and has been... Trapped in mediocrity with the New York football giants due to both injury, poor offensive play around him, poor offensive scheming and coaching. He is the third leading rusher in week 10 of the NFL season. It's Saquon Barkley. My only question becomes, and I was looking at some of the betters and the odds, Geno Smith is a candidate. Now, this might sound rude, and if it does, I don't really care, but... My understanding of comeback player of the year is that you're coming back. And I'm not trying to be rude to you uh not trying to be rude to you Seahawks fans, but what is Geno Smith coming back to? Geno Smith just hasn't panned out. There's nothing wrong with that. That's life, right? But he hasn't he's not returning to anything. If this was a most improved award, you could argue he would he would and should be a top candidate. 
But comeback player of the year is someone coming back from injury or, my understanding, returning to a high level of play, right? I'd say Saquon. Um, My other one, as I said before, we talked about him, Travis Etienne. I mean, you know, early in his career, knee injury completely takes out his rookie season. Or maybe this is his rookie season. We don't even know. And, And by we, I mean me. Here he is already seemingly, I guess, a top 10 back in the NFL in terms of productivity as a quote-unquote, you know, Ben Simmons-ish rookie. I mean, he's up there above Miles Sanders. He's up there above Dalvin Cook. He's up there above Aaron Jones. He's up there above Mr. Five Touchdown Joe Mixon, Christian McCaffrey, Tony Pollard, um... The other one that would have been interesting that we didn't mention for Rookie of the Year was Brees Hall, but obviously he was injured. Um, Yeah, I don't know. ETN would be an interesting one. Gino would be an interesting one, depending on if Seattle... You know, if the Giants collapse here, which is possible, and the Seattle Seahawks win the division, you'd probably see somebody like Gino get a little bit more of a shove from the media, but we'll find out when we get there. Alrighty, number seven, because we're skipping six, because that was a long segment. Number seven... In the standout seven, let's get some news and notes here. Uh, reports saying that the Washington football team may sell for $7 billion with a B dollars, which would be tremendously impressive. Um, Tom Brady passed 100,000 yards, including postseason. Okay. Uh, congrats to Tom. He's got all the records. I don't, I don't know if this necessarily matters, but he's got all the records, so let's, what's, let's add one more to the pile. Uh, Xavier McKinney, big player for the New York Giants defense, hurt while on vacation. That's a big oof. Uh, for Giants fans who still remember the boat trip to Miami right before the playoff run. Yeah, it's a big oopsie, but it happens. Um, Buda Baker going to be out two to three weeks with an ankle injury for the Cardinals. That's a big one, especially as they're kind of sliding down the standings already. Um, Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro, both to IR, is huge. Shaq Leonard of the Colts. 2IR, which is huge. Dante Jackson of the Panthers has a torn Achilles. He's done for the year. I mean, oof. Um, TJ Watt's back, so not everyone's going down, but Stafford is in concussion protocol, as we said. Um, Kyler Murray, day-to-day for the Cardinals. A couple more notes here. I had this saved. Joe Thomas ranting about the Jeff Saturday hiring. He said the most egregious thing I can ever remember happening in the NFL in terms of this hiring. He said, and I went 1-31 my last two years. Look, Joe, I get it. You're you're a TV personality now. And uh, let's be completely frank here. You and Jeff kind of occupy the same lane. Pro Bowl offensive lineman in television, um, which is, you know, good for you. I mean, I'm not saying you guys got to compete. I'm just saying it's kind of funny that you guys occupy the same lane. But, I mean... This isn't the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. Like, in my opinion, they're hiring someone that I guess they believe has the ability. He's not hired to a five-year deal, you know, like in baseball where they just say, oh, you were a player, Carlos Beltran? Hey, come be our coach. Or like when Udonis Haslam retires finally after five years of sitting on the bench in the NBA, Somebody's going to make him an offer. Hey, you want to be our coach? Hey, hey, Steve Nash, you want to come coach the Nets? Come come coach us. Hey, why not? Just come coach us. You were just a player. Why not? Um, it's not a thing in football. Usually you work your way up. Maybe this will be the beginning of it. 
You know, we heard Peyton Manning getting a sniff here and there for GM positions or maybe even some coaching consideration if he wanted to do it. But to call it the most egregious thing you can remember in the NFL, I mean, define egregious, right? And I'm not trying to be a clown and say you don't know what it means. I mean, this is the NFL. Weird, bizarre stuff just kind of happens, I feel like. So it's, it's a little weird to me that you would say, oh, this is it. This is the most bizarre thing. Like, dude, like, come on, come on. It's not even like the most bizarre thing that's happened this season. Like the the Browns traded for a QB knowing damn well the guy wouldn't even play and he had 30 pending lawsuits against him. Like, what are you talking about? Like, Miles Garrett tried to rip somebody's head off with a helmet on the football field. Like, Lawrence Taylor was winning, you know, defensive player of the year while he was on crack and now he's like potentially, you know, in legal trouble with underage prostitutes. Like, this is the NFL. Things that are crazy happen all the time. The fact that a guy that's a former player that has no experience got a head coaching offer, come on. It's not close. We had Brian Flores saying that his his team was telling him to lose games on purpose and they were paying him for it, or offered to, I should say. He didn't take the money. Hugh Jackson said the same thing, that there were teams tanking. Joe, you were freaking there. Like, come on. You want to clown Jeff Saturday, fair enough. And he was fired up at his press conference, rightfully so. You can clown him all you want. He may go out there and they'll lose, what, what are they right now, 3-5-1? and one? He, They may go out there and win one game the rest of the year and he'll never be a head coach ever again. But we just, come on. There's There's hyperbole for the sake of hyperbole, and then there's this. Like, I get being a talking head, you know, you know, moves the needle, but like, come on, dude. You're better than that. <sighs> Interesting note here. Multiple teams reached out to the NFL office about moving the trade deadline back in next season or following seasons per Adam Schefter. Um, moving it from week 8 to week 10 or week 12. All right. I mean, sure. I mean, I'm on board. I think week 10 makes sense, right? That would be... Um, right during the week following this Sunday's games. Now that we're at 17 games, I can understand moving it back. Why not split the difference? Week 8, week 10, week 9, sure. Uh, I can get on board with that. More trades, more action. You know, we talked about it last week. It was the most exciting, probably, trade deadline the NFL has ever had. And it probably, I want to say it will be for quite some time, but we'll find out. You know, we'll find out. Who knows? It wouldn't have shocked me. Let's say Aaron Rodgers was playing a little better. It wouldn't have shocked me if somebody of his caliber, they were getting calls on, say, hey, man, is he available? Your team's playing poorly, but he's not. We'll see what the future holds for the NFL trade deadline if it becomes more like the other big sports uh, in terms of, you know, hockey, baseball, and basketball. That'll bring us to the end of the standout seven and take us into my favorite part, your favorite part of this week's episode, the pick'em portion. Surprisingly, after talking about how we needed to have a good week, we did in fact go 9-4 and four last week. I know, it's not tremendous, but considering we were on a little bit of a schneid, we'd gone 8-7, and 8-6, and 7-7. Seven and seven. We needed it, we needed some W's, and we got them. Let's hope we get some more W's this week. Obviously, we got the Thursday night game wrong, but that's life. Let's get started with the Germany game. First game ever in Germany for the NFL. Obviously, not for NFL Europa, but those don't count. 
Um, the Seahawks will be the road team, I believe, in this game. I don't know who the road team is. There's listed as versus. Sure, let's go with Seattle um, <laughs> against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Seattle going to be without Cullen Gillespie in their backfield with a knee injury. Questionable wide receiver Marquise Goodwin with a groin. Buccaneers going to be without wide receiver Russell Gage with a hammy. Offensive lineman Luke Gadecki with a foot. And linebacker J.J. Russell with a hammy as well. Questionable tight end Cameron Brait with a neck. Though we saw production return to the tight end position for Tampa Bay last week. So if Brait can get back in there with the rookie contributing as well, let's see what happens. And I believe it was Caleb Otten last week. Who do I got in this one? This is a weird game because on paper, I should pick Seattle every time, right? But, but Tampa Bay's defense has been pretty darn good this year. And I wonder if they can't, if they can contain a Rams offense. Now the Rams offense hasn't been tremendous either. If they can contain the Rams, if they can go blow for blow with some of these other teams, I tend to think they can go blow for blow with the Seattle Seahawks. I'm going to take Tampa Bay to win this one in Germany. I This is a weird game to pick. I should pick Seattle, but I'm not. I'm taking Tom on the road in Europa to bring it home. Next, we head stateside for our normal afternoon slate. Starting with an NFC North matchup between the Detroit Lions and the Chicago Bears from Soldier Field. Detroit going to be without wide receiver Josh Reynolds with a back injury in this one. Doubtful offensive lineman Matt Nelson with a calf. Questionable all on the defensive side. Linebacker Malcolm Rodriguez with an elbow. Corner Chase Lucas with an ankle. Safety Kirby Joseph who's in the concussion protocol. And safety Ifitu Melifanwu with an ankle. Bears going to be without DB Kindle Vilder with an ankle injury. Doubtful all excuse me, defensive lineman Al-Kadeen Muhammad with a knee, questionable O-lineman Tevin Jenkins with a hip, and DB Jalen Johnson with an oblique. I'm going to take the Bears in this one. Now, I know this Lions offense has the ability to throw up a random 30 spot, but I think this Bears offense has found something the last few weeks. And this Detroit Lions defense is usually god-awful when they're not playing the Packers, so... Give me Justin Fields to have what might be his best game of the year at home against the Lions. Next, the Cleveland Browns head to Miami to take on the Dolphins. Browns going to be without tight end David Njoku with an ankle. Linebacker Jeremiah Owosu-Koromoa also going to miss this one with a knee injury. Questionable offensive lineman Michael Dunn with a back. Dolphins going to be without tight end Hunter Long, who's in the concussion protocol. Questionable. Backup QB Teddy Bridgewater with a knee. Tight end Tanner Connor with a knee. Offensive lineman Austin Jackson and Taron Armstead with ankle-slash-calf and toe-slash-calf injuries, respectively. Once again, as always, injury reports provided by NFL.com. I'm going to take Miami to win this one. I said this before earlier in the episode. This Cleveland defense is pretty darn good, and it was evidenced by what they did against the Cincinnati Bengals. I'm intrigued to see how they play against Miami, but Miami's got serious firepower. Not that Cincinnati doesn't, but without Jamar Chase in that game, it showed Tyree Kill, Jalen Waddell. I think Gesicki's pretty good. They added Jeff Wilson in the backfield with Mostert. I mean, too many weapons. Give me Miami to win this one at home. Next, we head to Tennessee, where the Denver Broncos take on the division-leading Titans. 
Broncos going to be without wide receiver K.J. Hamler with a hamstring injury. No, I will not laugh. That is not punny. Uh, tight end Andrew Beck with a hammy as well. And linebacker Baron Browning with a hip injury. Questionable wide receiver Kendall Hinton, excuse me, with an illness. Offensive lineman Cam Fleming with a quad. Linebacker Nick Benito, also with an illness. Uh, corner Darius Phillips and safety Justin Simmons with a knee. Titans going to be without quite a few players on the defensive side of the ball. Jeffrey Simmons going to miss this one with an ankle. Zach Cunningham at linebacker with an elbow, as well as Bud Dupree with a hip. And in the secondary, Amani Hooker with a shoulder and Josh Thompson with a knee injury. Uh, questionable, two more defensive players. Kevin Strong on the D-line with an ankle and corner Christian Fulton with a hammy. Also big question mark, the quarterback position where Ryan Tannehill is listed as questionable with an ankle injury that has kept him out the past few weeks. This would be a big win for the Denver Broncos. Technically speaking, they're kind of still in the playoff hunt. It would push them to 4-5, and five, but... I'm not certain they're going to be able to do enough to stop Derrick Henry, so I'm going to take Tennessee to win this one at home. Next, we've got the question mark bowl as the Vikings head to Buffalo to take on the Bills? Case Keenum? I don't know. Case Keenum, former Viking, quote-unquote legend. I say half sarcastically, obviously, the Minneapolis Miracle. Um, the Vikings going to be without D-lineman Dalvin Tomlinson with a calf and corner camp Dantzler with an ankle. The Bills going to be without Greg Rousseau with an ankle and Jordan Poyer, big one with an elbow. Doubtful, corner Kair Elam with an ankle and questionable, Josh Allen with that aforementioned elbow injury as well as linebacker Tremaine Edmonds with a groin slash heel. I assume, and I don't think this is a big assumption, I assume we will not see Josh Allen in this game. He will not play. I doubt he would even suit up, if I'm being completely honest. With that being said, considering the Poyer injury, along with Edmonds and Allen, I'm going to take the Vikings to win what might be their biggest game in, in a little bit here on the road. Next, the Houston Texans head to New Jersey to take on Saquon Barkley and the New York Giants. Texans going to be without linebacker Neville Hewitt with a hammy. Questionable wide receiver Brandon Cooks with a wrist and Nico Collins with a groin, as well as D-lineman Malik Collins with a chest and linebacker Jalen Reeves-Mabin with a groin injury as well. Giants are going to be without their first-round pick, offensive lineman Evan Neal still battling a knee injury, as well as Daniel Bellinger, who's still rehabbing an eye injury, which if you didn't see it, look it up, you know. Be forewarned, it was a little gruesome. He's probably going to have to wear a visor the rest of his career. Um, questionable, wide receiver Kenny Galladay. Will we notice he's out there? God only knows. Linebacker O'Shane Zimenez with a quad and DB Cordell Flott with a calf injury. I'm taking the Giants to win this one. They're better than Houston. Houston's not very good, though this could come down to who runs for more yards and whose team controls the ball better, Damian Pierce and the Texans or Saquon and the Giants. I'm leaning towards the home team, the New York Giants. Next, uh, well, I guess we'll get in a 60-second pick. It's been a while since we've used this shtick. The Jacksonville Jaguars head to Arrowhead to take on the Chiefs. Uh, as for injury reports, Jacksonville listing just one. Safety Rayshon Jenkins, questionable with a concussion. Mecole Hardman going to miss this game for the Chiefs with an abdominal injury. And questionable, running back Jarek McKinnon with a handful of injuries. Uh, the Chiefs win this game. I think they should win this game fairly easily. I, I don't think I need to explain to you why 
a team with an MVP caliber quarterback can beat a team that's, I mean, Trevor Lawrence is not that dude. If you're going to bet the over on Lawrence interceptions, this might be the day. Although it might just be a lot of blitzes out of Spagnolo and a strip sack or two. Give me Kansas City to win at home. Our final 1 o'clock kick is a battle between the New Orleans Saints and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Two teams starting quarterbacks who weren't their quarterback at the beginning of the year. The New Orleans Saints are going to be without Mark Ingram in this one with a knee injury. Offensive lineman Eric McCoy and Andrus Pete, as well as linebacker Pete Werner and corner Marshawn Lattimore. Questionable D-lineman Marcus Davenport and Tano Capasignon. Uh, Capasigno, I think. My apologies if I mispronounce it, sir. Let me know. Uh, as well as safety, Marcus May. Or let me know. You guys, by the way. Comments, social media, you know the deal. I'll correct it next week. Uh, safety, Marcus Way, May, as well as safety, PJ Williams. Steelers going to be without two corners. William Jackson, who, if memory serves, they just traded for. And Akilo Witherspoon. Questionable O-lineman Kevin Dotson. And linebacker Malik Reed. Um, worth noting, I read quotes that... Dennis Allen is confident in the Andy Dalton-led offense and that it's not an injury thing anymore for Jameis Winston. I What? Then what is it? I don't know. Does he have, like, an option that vests if he plays enough snaps or something? I don't understand why you'd go with Dalton over Winston. Uh, and without a lot of these, without Michael Thomas, without Winston, as I said, uh, without Ingram, it's really all on Kamara and Olave. And you know what? I'm going to take Pittsburgh to get back in the win column because they're at home. If this game was in New Orleans, I'd lean the other way, but it's not, so give me the Steelers. Our lone 405 kick is the ever-discussed Colts at Raiders game from Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. Colts going to be without running back Deion Jackson, tight end Jelani Woods, and linebacker, as we said before, Shaq Leonard, who's on IR. Questionable tight end Mo Cox and DN Quiddy Pay. Raiders, just one questionable linebacker Denzel Perriman, though as we said, they will also be without Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller. Two beat-up teams, two teams that should have and probably could have been contenders. I'm going to take the Colts. Because everybody's talking about Josh McDaniels and how there's all this bulletin board material, and they probably will lose. The Colts, that is. But I think it'd be funny if Jeff Saturday found a way to stick it to somebody like Joe Thomas. And I like Joe Thomas. I don't want to come off like I don't like him. But stick it to everybody and bring home a win with a rookie QB that nobody thought would start any games. Jonathan Taylor go off for some crazy amount of yards or something. I don't know. Michael Pittman with three touchdowns. Give me something here. Give me Indy just for fun, to win this one on the road. Next, in the 425 slot, we have a divisional matchup between two NFC West bottom feeders, quote-unquote. The Cardinals entering this one at 3-6, and six, and the hosting LA Rams at 3-5. and five. Two decent teams, honestly, but that's where they're, the cookie crumbles, I guess. Cardinals going to be without two offensive linemen, Rodney Hudson and Max Garcia. Questionable, a laundry list... Kyler Murray with that hammy we mentioned before, Greg Dortch, offensive lineman, Cody Ford, DJ Humphreys, linebacker Dennis Gardeck, corners Christian Matthew and Byron Murphy, safety Buda Baker, who I believe is going to miss this one, as we said before, and their kicker Matt Prater. The Rams going to be without running back Malcolm Brown and linebacker Traven Howard. Doubtful, offensive lineman Alaric Jackson, defensive lineman Greg Gaines, questionable, concussion protocol Matthew Stafford, 
center Brian Allen, and corner Robert Rochelle. Honestly, I, I feel obligated to take the Cardinals in this one. I'll throw the asterisk on it. We do this from time to time. The asterisk will be on if Matthew Stafford's there. But, I mean, I I would say they have the home field advantage, but there's little to no home field advantage at this Ram stadium. If you've watched any Ram game where they play any team with some sort of a following. So, uh, yeah, give me, give me the Cardinals to win this one on the road. Next, it is the Mike McCarthy Bowl as Mike McCarthy and the Dallas Cowboys head to Green Bay to take on the Packers. Cowboys going to be without linebacker Anthony Barr in this one. Questionable running back Zeke Elliott, though it didn't seem to hurt them when he was out the other week. Uh, Packers going to be without wide receiver Romeo Dobbs, linebacker Devondre Campbell, corner Shamar Jean-Charles, and corner Eric Stokes. Doubtful, linebacker Chris Barnes, and questionable, wide receiver Amari Rogers and offensive lineman David Bakhtiari. Uh, I'm taking the Cowboys in this one. I don't think I really need to explain why. Unless Aaron Rodgers truly has enough hate to power this offense, like, this is one of those where it's like, oh, it's his comeback game. Oh, yeah, good to see Mike McCarthy, and he throws for five touchdowns against them just because he never really liked them. Um, I don't get that vibe. I feel like Rodgers wouldn't necessarily hide it. He's not great at hiding his emotions, it seems, publicly. So uh, I think he'll be happy to see Mike, and I think at the end of the day, Mike will be happy because the Cowboys will be walking out of Lambeau with a W. Our Sunday night football game is a West Coast showdown between the L.A. Superchargers and the San Francisco 49ers, live from Santa Clara. Chargers going to be without Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, and their kicker in this one, which is... Kind of massive, if we're being honest. Uh, doubtful linebacker Chris Rumpf. Questionable two offensive linemen, Trey Pipkins and Brendan James. 49ers going to be without Eric Armstead and Jason Verrett. Doubtful pass rusher Samson Ebucam. Without Williams and without Keenan Allen, I'm going to take the Niners to win this one. I think they'll just grind it out and do their job and bring it home at home. But if the Chargers... And look, I am a Chargers guy. You remember, if you haven't, I'll clue you in. If not, you can go back and, by all means, listen to how wrong I was 10-plus weeks ago. I thought the Chargers would push towards winning this division this season, and they're still in it. If they're going to win this division, they got to win games like this. Impress me, San Diego. Oh, excuse me. Impress me, L.A. Super Chargers. Top two wideouts down. Go out there and get a W. Find a way. But unfortunately for you... I wouldn't bet on it. San Francisco at home. Next, our Monday night football matchup. Da, 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 da. The Commanders, led by Ron Rivera, who I put on the hot seat, head to Lincoln Financial Field to take on the undefeated Philadelphia Eagles. I'm taking the Eagles. This game would have been more fun if Carson Wentz was on the field. Um, I'm taking Philly. I mean, the Philly fans would have had a lot of fun with them. They, they need it. You know, they just lost the World Series, and I believe they lost the MLS Cup, too. So, like, they need someone that they could have fun with here. They just got the Eagles. So, James Harden's battling an injury for the Sixers. Philly's going to win this one just to bring their spirits up a bit. Uh, and before we go, you know we got to pick the Thursday night football game. Week 11, the Tennessee Titans head to Lambeau to take on the Packers. And that's right, folks. I've got the Packers losing back-to-back games at Lambeau within four days of each other. 
And the one man we didn't mention before, and I, I held off on it to mention until now because of this, I think you might get a little bit of a... The seat might get a little hot under Matt LaFleur. Not super hot. They were good last year. I don't know if this team is his fault. He didn't, you know, Unless he really reassured the front office that this passing game would be fine. Um, I'm more confident in the Cowboy game than the Titan game because I don't know if Tannehill's going to go. I could see the Packers beating the Titans. I probably should pick them to beat the Titans. It's hard to lose back-to-back home games in four days when you're playing a Lambeau field. But that's exactly what I'm going to pick. Give me the Titans to bring it home on the road. Alrighty, ladies and gentlemen, that'll bring us to the end of this week's episode. Episode number 149 of the Necessary Roughness podcast presented by Last Word on Sports. Thank you for joining us. Join us again next weekend for our milestone 150th episode. I say it at every milestone. I'm grateful for the opportunity from Last Word on Sports and from you out there who's listening. If it's your first time or your 149th time, and if it's your 149th, call me. Let me know where you are. I'll give you a hug myself. Um, Thank you for listening. As always, I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic. Signing off.